Hello, everyone. This is Marie Williams with Router Manufacturing's Tipping Point Podcast. On this episode, I interview Nikki Wenty of Wenty Vineyards. And I have to say, if you consume any type of wine, if you love wine to if you just have wine on a, you know, handed to you basis, you have probably either had experienced having some of Wenty wine or have at least seen it in a grocery store. Um, I grew up with Nikki Wenty, and I can tell you that the Wenty family are some of the most genuine and humble people that I have met in their position. Um, so just to give some background, Wenty Vineyards is the oldest family-owned winery in the United States. They are 140 years old and on their fifth generation currently growing and producing the wine. Um, and pretty neat, 75% of all California Chardonnay stems from the Wenty clone and the Wenty family property. Um, they're sold in over 75 countries, and honestly, their operation is top-notch, and I, I think it's fair to say they are an industry standard um, with how they operate. Today, Nikki is going to share with us how wine is grown. She's the director of operations, uh, vineyard operations over there. So we're going to learn a little bit about wine, along with her advice for young professionals, succession planning best practices, and advice to women and companies in a male-dominant industry. But I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I do. And yeah, enjoy. I'm here with Nikki Wenty, who is the director of Vineyard Operations of Wenty Winery. Yes. That's a very cool title. What, like, <laughs> can you explain what that is? Yeah. So I manage all of our farming operations. Technically, I manage all of our agricultural operations. So we have land that's not in planted to vineyards yeah. that I also am in charge of. But most, most of my day like consumed, is consumed by vineyard management. So making sure that the teams are running smoothly, making sure that we have a strategic plan, grapes in the ground you know, all the different intricacies that go into making wine. Yeah. Okay. So you say having a strategic plan, like I, my parents grow like a small amount of grapes uh -huh. and I just think of it as like you plant the grape and then the vine and then it grows. And then you pick the grapes and you make wine. Yeah. What's like a strategic plan? So we need to know what our consumers are going to be wanting. We have to have the correct amount of grapes at the correct quality level. Like each bottle of wine has a different price point, a different target audience and so that's going to require different farming techniques to get into those different price segmentations and vineyards have a, a life right so once their life is cycling down and they need to be removed that that's like another strategic plan because that's going to impact your quantity that you have in order to fulfill the demand so I have to have that strategy dialed in so that when vineyards are aging out and they need to be removed then we have a planting plan to be able to fulfill the tons demanded by that program Program. So it's, yeah, there's so a lot details. that goes into it. And then there's also like this, like half the time I'm doing that kind of stuff. The other half the time, I'm basically like a plant doctor. Oh, wow. So I'm like looking at virus in my vineyards and, and different bacterial infections and fungal infections and trying to figure out how we can continue the life of the vineyard when they have problems that arise. Wait, that is so cool. <laughs> That's like a dream job. Yeah. Okay. I have so many questions right now. What's your, actually, this is what comes to mind when you talk about all of those details that go into the health of the vine we have been dealing with a lot of wildfires and droughts and then all of a sudden just like explosive amounts of rain is, is that like a part of what you're managing as well yeah so like strategic planning around extreme weather events is for sure something that we talk about and try and figure out it's that's one of the hardest parts of the job because I can't predict when we're gonna have 110 degrees for 10 days in September like that things like that I just I can't 
predict that, but we can do as much as possible to culturally prepare for those types of extreme events. Like all the, like last year in October, we had six inches of rain. Yeah. It's right. like random. <laughs> yeah. And like those things, it's not necessarily bad, but it does impact the way that we're going to operate our business and how we're going to manage our vineyards. Okay. Yeah. Because if it's super hot in September, that creates like the sugar starts going or something. And then, yeah. So, well, aside, <laughs> I don't know. Science behind it, like at 95 degrees, you, your plant starts to slow down on photosynthesis. And then at 105, it stops photosynthesis completely and stops respiring. So no more water is escaping through the leaves. And then the plant goes into like almost a hibernation where it's Whoa. like on the full shutdown to protect itself so it doesn't die. Because oh it can't really live in those temperatures. So it, yes, it will shoot the sugars up pretty quick. But then because the plant just went into hibernation, it actually stops maturing altogether. Wow. So if your sugars didn't shoot up enough, yeah. you're still not going to be ripe and your plant is not going to be doing anything for you anymore. Oh, so it like nice. stalls your harvest for two to three weeks. So that was oh fun gosh. this year. We yeah. had like a bunch of stuff that was like way overripe and then a bunch of stuff that like didn't get ripe until November. And are you managing that by like tasting, like just like literally eating the grape to, to figure out if it's ripe or not? Or We do that on every block we taste before we pick, Whoa. but we also look at the chemistry, read the bricks, which is the sugar content. Okay. And then we also look at pH and TA, total acidity. And so just trying to look at everything. That is so cool. Yeah. And then if it rains, that can create mold, right? If it's yes. during harvest. Yeah. It can also create a balloon effect of the grapes where there's too much water and the sugar will actually drop. Oh, but that's a temporary issue. So the sugar rises back up, but yeah. it's just, if you're picking a block like that day and it rains a lot, the sugar is not going to be what you want, which means you're going to have a lower alcohol wine. So it just, you have to kind of <laughs> yourself to be able to try and get everything off before the rains come, yeah. which is not always possible. No. Yeah. That week in October was when we were getting married and uh, or Jake and I were getting married and it was wild because it was rain out of nowhere. It's normally beautiful in California in yeah. October, but our wedding day and the day before were like beautiful. So we're like, all right, we made it through, but I can't imagine what you guys were dealing with. Like trying to pick while it's yeah, rain out of nowhere. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So what is your favorite part of your job? I think my favorite part of my job is that it's different every day. Yeah. So I never get bored. Like some days I'm focused on strategic planning and some days I'm like, okay, let's actually focus on like what we did last year and how we want to improve this year. And some days I'm tasting with the winemakers. So it's every day I go in and have a different plan, which is nice. Yeah. That's amazing. And okay. I remember meeting you in middle school. Yeah. <laughs> and I actually like, I have no idea why this like visual just sticks with me, but I remember like someone saying, cause we came from different, like I was at a Royal Seiko, like different elementary schools, right? Yeah. Like, you're meeting all these kids. I remember someone saying, Oh, this is like my friend Nikki. And you had like long hair and you were doing like cartwheels. Hi, I'm Nikki. <laughs> just like having so much fun. And I don't, which is great. And I think you probably bring that energy into Wenty, but have you always wanted to work there or? I always did want to work for my family business. My parents like never pressured us, yeah. which I think is so important in a family business to not have pressure from your yes, parents to work totally. there. Because <laughs> if they do, then you don't want to. Because yeah. <laughs> kids are ingrained and in, it's ingrained in children to not do what your parents tell them to do. <laughs> totally. But I always wanted to, I actually always wanted to do what I'm doing now. I wanted to manage our agricultural business because that's what my dad did. And I always idolized my dad. So yeah. I was like, I want to follow in his footsteps. But there was no pressure to do it. Like I went to school for this. I did work outside of 
of the industry for about a year and a half and I came back because I hated it. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, my father as well, no pressure to work for him and he encouraged us, go do other things and then come back and you'll appreciate it, yeah. which I'm so happy I did go outside of the industry because now I really, I'm like, I'm never leaving this place. Like I love it so much. But what have been some of your biggest challenges in your role? The biggest challenges is always people related, trying to make sure people are working together, that we have the right people in the right roles, that our, our organization is laid out properly. In our organization, we have a team in Livermore and a team in Monterey for our vineyards down south. We have the hardest time figuring out if we should have people like cross-reporting. Should someone like a manager in Livermore be managing a team in Arroyo Seco? Like yeah. how often do they get down there? And so it's been just trying to play that organizational chess and make sure that everyone's happy in their role, that they feel valued, and that we're getting the right face time with every direct employee because I think that's super important to be able to hear from everyone and not lead from above, but like lead from all levels. Yeah, no, I love that. And I feel like that's what also, if you have a culture like that, it allows people to come up with creative ideas and bring them to the top and you have solutions brought to you by like incredible people, incredible minds. So that's what you want. Speaking of culture, you guys have been around for 130 years. On your website says the winery is owned and managed by the fourth and fifth generation of the Wente family who's recognized in their influence in making Chardonnay the best-selling varietal in the country based on numerous accomplishments over the past 130 years. That's so wild that one in this sentence they're talking about the fourth and fifth generation working at this company. Like I feel a lot of organizations after the second generation they sell or whatever the case may be and then it's over 130 years. How do you guys keep that culture that like that was started in the beginning or how have you improved it? So we have a family council meeting every year, once a year, usually around Christmas time. And in that family council meeting, we created some guidelines because as my parents' generation is only three people, it's my aunt and uncle and my dad. Yeah. So they lucked out because it's really small. But yeah. then when you add us in, now there's six people in my fifth generation. Wow. And then the sixth generation already has a ton. <laughs> there's tons of sixth generation and not all of us have had children yet. So yeah. It's like, it's just going to continue to multiply. So with that, I think the family council meeting has really helped us to stay focused. We've created like some guidelines, like work outside of the business for three to five years, mm -hmm. something else or same industry, but just different yeah. leaders that you can come and bring something to the table. Mm -hmm. No job will ever be given to you. You have to apply yeah. and interview like everyone else. Awesome. And you need to be like able to fulfill the role duties, yeah. qualified for the role and have to start at the bottom and work your way up. Yeah. There's a lot of different like rules and guidelines that we put in there but I think more than anything we've all found our own little knee in our business that and no, no one's really trying to work in the same area which has been helpful yeah so Carl was always into winemaking I've been into the vineyards my sister Allie's into marketing mm -hmm. Christine is into the like nonprofit side of our business trying oh, nice. to do arts education work so yeah. it's, we've all kind of had our little swim lanes that, yeah. that allows us to bring our own influence into that specific department division mm -hmm. and not feel like we're getting in the way of a different family member yeah and then it's also the mutual respect that we have for each other yeah because we're not always going to agree and I think we have, we go into the situation thinking like oh it's not about me as a person they're not disagreeing with me as a person they just don't agree with this particular initiative or idea yeah and so taking like that part like the feeling like they're attacking yeah. you yeah. out of it really helps totally. <laughs> and so that that's been good for us to all be able to like talk about openly yeah and I think that's coming from a spot of like you all it's your family business and you all really care about that business so yeah it's good to have pushback 
and not just be in a room of yes people. That's wonderful. Um, what would be a piece of advice you would give yourself, give young Nikki? Not take things so personally. <laughs> I think as I grow up, I've started to learn that people aren't like attacking me when I like say something that not everyone agrees with. Yeah. I probably took things too personally when I was younger and that would be something I wish I learned earlier. Yeah. I'm glad I know it now, but right. I wish I learned it earlier because I think it would have saved me a lot of anxiety. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of anxiety and then you're blocking yourself from that next, that other idea that you can present because you're like, oh, I can't believe they didn't like this idea. Right. Yeah. You beat um, yourself up and then you start to like shrink back into the background. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You like go silent for people that are feeling like that right now. Like they're a young professional coming up and they're feeling like they are shrinking into the background because they're being shut down with ideas. What advice do you have for them? My advice is always just get involved. Like I know that sometimes it's scary, but the more involved you can get and show that you're willing to do anything and learn anything and be involved in different parts, different aspects of the business, that is always so impressive to superiors. And also find mentoring relationships. Reach out to people within the organization or outside of the organization that can mentor you because mm -hmm. there's people are interested in doing it. I'm interested in mentoring people all the time. You just have to ask, be courageous and ask like, Hey, can we get coffee? And then kind of bring it up. Like I'd love to be like a mentor or mentee yeah. <laughs> of you. And I'm 99% of the time they will give you the time of day and yeah. spend time with you. Yeah. It's funny because on this particular podcast, we ask everyone who's on, what's your advice for a young professional? And every answer has included, get a mentor, just be courageous and reach out. And I know for myself, like, it's interesting because they don't necessarily need to be in your industry because you gain so much perspective from their life lessons. And those life lessons are typically from hardships that they've had. It's like, you don't have to go through the pains that they went through. You can just learn from them and take a better step in, in your role. Let's see. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. And what do you think your, okay. So you're the, your, what would that be? Your great, 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 great grandfather. Great, great, <laughs> great, wait, great, great grandfather. Great, great grandfather started yeah. Wenty. Yes. What do you think he would think of the operation now? I think he would be thrilled that it lasted this long. I don't know. I think he always wanted his sons to have the opportunity to continue the business to further generations. I, but I don't think he expected it to last this long. I don't think that was like in his mind. Yeah. He was more, I think he would be even more impressed with just Livermore because oh, he yeah. was like Mr. Livermore himself. Like yeah. he started the first bank of Livermore. Like he was like <laughs> invested in so many different types of businesses wow. here. So seeing how Livermore has developed, I think would like really make him oh. so happy. Yeah. But I think he would be thrilled that we're still operating that we're still doing what he started yeah. and that we're still in the location of the property that he purchased right. back in 1883. So I know insane. Yeah. I don't know what he would think of like us. Yeah. I hope he liked <laughs> I hope he would like us. I think he would like you. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he seemed like a really awesome character. So I would love to show him Livermore just as a whole. I was also reading you went to have the first Chardonnay in the United States. Is that correct? Not the first in the United States. We were either the first or one of the first people to label the wine as Chardonnay. Okay. So oh. back in the day, before Prohibition, people didn't, it just wasn't common to put 
the variety on the wine. Okay. You just never really did it. Yeah. Because we were following France oh. and Italy and Spain. And yeah. that, they didn't do that. They named the chateau or the region, but they never put the varietal. Right. And then when prohibition happened, people were either removing grapes or planting something that was a little bit more hardy okay. because you could make home wine. So oh. people were shipping grapes all across the United States in, on trains yeah. and making home wine with it. <laughs> but you can't really do that with Chardonnay or Cabernet. Yeah. They're just too delicate. Yeah. So the hardier varieties are not necessarily high quality. So when Prohibition ended and wine was being made again, it was often with some chateau name on the label oh, wow. and it was crap on the inside. <laughs> and so we were trying to write the wine industry a little bit and make sure people knew that they were getting something of high quality in the bottle. And so our first varietal label was actually a Sauvignon Blanc. And then our second was the Chardonnay. Oh, wow. And that kind of spread around California and people started putting the bridle on the bottle. Well, I was also reading that you have one of the oldest and one of the first tasting rooms in California. Is that correct? So we're one of the oldest tasting rooms for sure. We're definitely not the oldest, but yeah. we are the oldest family owned and continuously operated wine business so, in the United States. And then I know we were talking a little bit on, when we talked on the phone about your sustainability initiatives. What have you been doing at Wenti in regards to sustainability? Yeah, so I'm I'm super invested in carbon farming. So how can we get more carbon from the atmosphere into the soil? Because it actually is, it's a soil builder. It makes the soil healthier. It makes plants grow better. And if we sequester the carbon from the atmosphere into the ground, then we're doing two things. We're producing higher quality fruit and we're also saving the earth. And right. I think that agriculture has the opportunity and the potential to be able to really offset the carbon balance and start to go carbon negative. Yeah. <laughs> How we do that is we run a no-till system. So we're not turning over the soil, not opening it up. Cause when you open up the soil that actually releases carbon into the atmosphere. Oh, whoa. So yeah, so yeah. we keep a constant cover crop. And if we are going to get rid of the cover crop, we just mow it rather than disking or tilling. Wow. Yeah, so it's an easy win. Yeah. It also saves us on fuel because we're not constantly, if you disc, you have to take care of weeds to a much greater extent oh, because wow. it introduces noxious weeds when you disc. So it makes it really hard to control the cover crop that you have growing. And we want to yeah. have nitrogen fixing cover crops that can help our plants. So if you just let it be a native natural grassland, your vineyard rows, it actually is a lot easier in a lot of regards. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And okay. then we also are really focused on water conservation okay. because California is right. the whole world of water, but yeah. California specifically is not looking great. Yeah. We have a lot of technology in the vineyards that we've implemented to try and track how much water is going into the vine and how much water the vine is actually firing oh, wow. and respiring. Just looking at how can we customize our irrigate, only irrigate the plants when they need it rather than because we're on a schedule and this is yeah. how we did it last year. Exactly. Um, were there any like big findings in that? Yeah, yeah, totally. We found that our vines really do a lot better with longer irrigations that are less frequent. So oh. if you do like a 16 hour irrigation and then you don't irrigate for another 16 days, wow. something along those lines, rather than in the past, we were doing like eight hours twice a week, mm -hmm. every week. Wow. And it was just like the schedule, Yeah, but that's not always, that's right. not always what your vines want. And sometimes your vines might even go longer than that period that you have. And if you're just constantly monitoring it, you're able to detect whether your vines are going to respond to water or not yeah. rather than just 
putting on water for no reason. Yeah, exactly. So you're using a lot of technology then to Yeah. I think that's like for us, like what our generational impact is going to be for mm-hmm. the fifth generation is technology. Yeah. Like we are going to be that generation that brought in technology to try and help improve ourselves and sustainability, quality, time saving, yeah. all of the different things. That'll be our mark. Yeah. I'm sure it'll be even, the sixth generation will have even more technology. <laughs> so, but compared to the fourth generation, technology is our thing. Yeah. I think in the future, I think sustainability is going to be like, you have to be a sustainable wine brand or you're not going to be able to sell your wine sort of yeah. thing, unless it's going to be like $2 a bottle. Right. Sustainability is the only way to go in the future. In my personal perspective, I yeah. think there's some roadblocks around sustainability with consumer confusion. Like they're okay. not exactly sure what it means to be sustainable, but I honestly think that the clothing industry is doing a lot of the legwork on that to mm. try and show people what sustainability is and having sustainable clothing brands and that sort right. of thing coming through. So right. hopefully they can help us. Yeah. We've been trying, but we also do it a little to ourselves because there's a hundred different sustainability programs. Mm-hmm. If we could all just combine into one, because that makes it confusing, even though they're all very similar, exactly. hardly any differences. Oh man. So I think sustainability is just going to be like the entry point. Right. Everyone has to be sustainable or you're not going to get the dollar yeah. value that you need for your wine. No, it makes sense. But I also think based on just, you know, how we have all these extreme weather patterns, I think that the varietals that grow in different areas will change. I think that mm-hmm. wine flavor profiles might change. Yeah. So I think the wine industry might look really different. I think the way we grow grapes is probably going to change. It's going to be a lot more mechanized, a lot more automation. I, I I'm excited for what the future holds, but it's still unclear. I'm hoping that they have some great technology from Davis and that comes out to help us to continue to be better and to fight some of the virus impacts that we have. They do a lot of work with the foundation plant services and trying to create rootstocks and clones that are not susceptible to virus and different bacterial infections, fungal infections. Wow. Yeah. And also like drought resistant rootstocks, those sorts of things. So if they keep going, We'll be all good. Maybe we'll be dry farming. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Not even using water. That would be amazing. Okay, so you're a female in a male-dominant industry, similar to myself. Yeah. What advice do you have to women out there and or, that's a loaded question, and or organizations to help bring women more to the forefront of these organizations? Yeah, I think it goes back to what we said earlier about asking for help, asking for clarification when you don't understand things and not sinking back into the background, continue to put your ideas forward and continue to be a voice and present at the table because you deserve a seat just like everyone else. You worked hard to get where you are. And I've had all of my managers in this industry have actually been females, which is, yeah, I don't know how that (laughs) happened, but it did. Um, Even when I worked at other companies in the wine industry, all female. Wow. Yeah, oh, that's great. Really strange. Yeah. For because it is a male dominated industry, yeah. especially farming side of things. But I've been very fortunate in that way. But all of my leaders were very outspoken and it might not be who they are behind closed doors, mm-hmm. but at work they were they made themselves heard. Yeah. And they didn't feel sorry about what they said and they didn't pull punches. They weren't trying to like sugarcoat things or soften the edges on what they said. Yeah. They were just blunt and honest the same way that generally males are in work conversations. And so it was nice for me to be able to learn from those really strong women because it's helped me who I am, like build who I am in my professional career as a leader of men and women. Yeah. That's 
Hell yeah. <laughs> That's a great answer. Okay, and then I know you're going to be talking about succession planning, so I don't want to give too much away around that, but what are, have there been any challenges around succession planning or best practices that you have? Yeah, I think there has been challenges, and what we have done internally was to hire an external resource to do interviewing and that sort of thing, to, because my aunt actually recently retired as oh, wow. CEO, yeah. and there was a number of candidates that wanted the yeah. role. And so hiring that external partner to help us understand who would be the right choice. Yeah. And um, they basically conduct interviews, make sure everyone's voice is heard. And that was super helpful to make sure we were making the right choice. And also sometimes you, people think they want something and they really don't. Yeah. <laughs> and so maybe like having that external partner can come in and talk to you about it. And it definitely, I think, helped to lead us in the direction that we're going today, which was, I think, the right choice. Great. Yeah. That's, yeah. It makes complete sense. It's someone that can take the emotion out of it for you and bring everyone to the light of yeah. reality. Like everyone thinks that they can do it all on their own. Yeah. Like it's again, going back, yeah. ask for help. You yeah. don't have to do it internally. You can get someone outside. There's companies that are built for that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this episode is going to be called ask for help. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Completely agree. Um, also we're here with Nikki's lines. Yeah. I didn't know which two to bring. So I brought a Chardonnay and a Cabernet. <laughs> I was in Jake's hometown in New Hampshire with his cousins, cousins and aunts who all have like very thick Boston accents, but they were out here for our wedding and then went back and we were out there visiting and they all showed up with Nikki Rose. And I was like, yeah, but I was so confused because I was like, wait, how did you get this? I was like, oh, in Livermore. I was like, what? And I realized, I remember they were out for a week, but yeah, yeah they were obsessed, oh, like literally awesome. obsessed. Yeah. Love um, that. Yeah. So. New Hampshire is actually my territory. We have like oh. our family members all have like territories of sales. So yeah. every year I go to New Hampshire. I feel like there's just so many questions I could ask you about. I'm just mind blown at your job. It's so fun. Yeah. That's so cool that you're literally a plant doctor and yeah. you get to like make it a business like bring business to that it's so fun yeah I know I love that I was able to do something that's not like your typical yeah every day at a desk job because I don't think I would have been that good at that no <laughs> no I get that I yeah. can't be sitting at a desk all day yeah. I lose my mind there's a lot of careers out there that you don't have to sit at a desk all day yeah you learn anything from this podcast that's what it is. <laughs> totally and ask for help and ask for help actually that's a huge initiative in our industry is that like people go the traditional route of going to a four-year college, which is totally fine. People yeah. can do that. But I think there's so many careers where you're more hands-on and you've really learned that trade and you become a master of that trade. And you yeah. don't necessarily need to go to a four-year college for that. For sure. Which I know the wine industry has countless opportunities. Within yeah. That, so we have everything from maintenance or driving a tractor yeah. to being in HR yeah, it's yeah. Like we, or IT, like you have marketing like, yeah, or marketing, yeah. like the whole breath is there. Yeah. It's fantastic. Nikki, I'm really excited to have you as the speaker at our event, which is our women's roundtable event on February 15th and 16th here at our new Routerman location. You'll be talking to us about succession planning. We're doing a wine tour of Wente Vineyards, which is going to be awesome, followed by wine tasting. So super excited for that. And thank you for, um, 
joining us. Yeah, super excited. Succession planning is something that means a lot to me and my family because we're on the fifth generation and we'd like to continue for another five at least. Right. So I'm super excited to talk to you guys about it and show you guys when tea. Yes, I can't wait. I'm, I've never done the wine tour. So oh, right. but yeah, I am really excited for yeah. that. It's going to be fun. Winemaking is just, it's just so beautiful. Yeah. No? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming here. Yeah. Thanks um, for having me. I'm looking forward to the event.